0: Church, good morning. Hey, can we give it up for Jesus real quick? He's been so good to us already this morning. Let's praise him for it. I love it. Can we give it up for the Clemson Tigers too? Any Clemson fans in the house? All the Carolina fans said, I'm going to the traditional service now. Um, I'm not listening to his sermon. Um, Well, my name's Bryce, and uh, I get the chance to preach every so often, and I'm grateful for each and every opportunity. If you're like me, you ate too much on Thursday, past Thursday, and then you made a very smart decision and you ate just as much on Friday. And then if you're crazy like myself and our family, you ate leftovers on Saturday, as in yesterday. And so you're still trying to work some of that off. So I'm going to use that as my excuse, if that's okay, for me to kind of move around and juke out the camera like I like to do. Um, But uh, we actually had a flag football game this past Friday for a tournament, rather, for our young adults. It was fantastic. Tons of people came out, but we all started getting cramps right around the same time because of all the food that we had eaten uh, the day before. Some people ate like the breakfast, like had leftovers, it was so weird um, on Friday, but it was a fun time. And and so I'm still trying to work some of that off. Uh, However, I'm excited to be with you today. As Trevor said, we're kicking off a brand new sermon series. And uh, because Thanksgiving was last week, that means that we are looking ahead to my personal favorite holiday every single year. Maybe you can relate, it's super cold outside. It might even snow. We're excited for New Year's Eve. Um, and, uh, three people got that as well. Awesome. So Christmas is coming very soon. We started the Advent season today. We're going to be in that for the next few weeks. And I love Christmas for two reasons. A lot of people have asked me why first reason is probably pretty obvious. It's because we get to come together and celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. That's why we're here today. That's what we're going to talk about today. I hope you came prepared to do so. The second reason I love Christmas is because it is cold outside. Like today, it was even kind of cold outside. It's getting colder and colder and colder. If you know me, you know I love the cold weather because it allows me to justifiably wear hoodies all the time. I had a friend come to me when I was in college and say, Bryce, here's what I need to know. Why do you wear hoodies when it is 105 degrees Celsius in the summer and in the winter? I said, well, the winter's obvious. The summer is because I like protesting the heat and because I don't have huge biceps. So I don't have anything to flex. I'm not a... Big guy. In fact, in high school, there was this one soccer game. I was on the soccer team at Lexington High School here, and um, there was this one away game that we had. And I remember I ran up and down the sideline the whole game near the opposing team's bench. And this one guy, he was trash talking me the whole game. He was saying some crazy stuff. And I didn't really let it get to me. I just kind of deflected it, you know, laughed about some of it and kept moving. Well, there was one thing that caught my attention because towards the end of the game, he said, hey, 17, that was my number. Hey, 17, why do you look like a pencil? And I had the same reaction that everybody hopefully just had uh, collectively when he said that. And so I laughed it off, but I knew, I knew I have to respond because I got a good one. And so I ran back down after that attack was over. I said, hey, bro, I got to address your question. You said, why do I look like a pencil? It's because I'm about to erase your whole team. <laughs> that other team's bench went nuts. I mean, they were going crazy. They're like, he, he said, what? Oh So I was at like high school, Bryce, was at an all-time high, okay? Like all-time high. And uh, and so I was living it up even on the ride home. I mean, on on, on the bus ride home, I was super excited. I was replaying that over and over and over again in my head. Well, that school started the next week. And to be honest with you, my teammates and I kept talking about that game because we won the game. But what came to my mind in those moments a few days later was actually not what I said in response. It was what was first said to me. I started to ask that same question. I started to allow insecurity to come into my life a little bit. Because how many of you know that not every voice in the world is actually helpful, is actually godly, actually has your best intention in mind when they're speaking? You know, oftentimes voices within ourselves will mirror the voices in culture. And that's what happened to me. I started to have a negative self-talk every time I experienced any sort of self-talk to myself. And the negative self-talk aligned with the culture and the world around me because newsflash, the world would rather build themselves up so that they can tear you down. I experienced it firsthand for days that turned into weeks that then turned into months of insecurity. I had come, I had let come into my system all because I chose to listen to a certain voice around me which is why I think it's extremely important that we learn how to discern and listen for God's voice. As Trevor said, we're starting a new series today all about misfits. There are tons of misfits, if you will, all throughout scripture today. We're gonna look at two of them in the Christmas story. But the key component of most of these misfit stories about when God chose someone who was broken and sinful like all of us here today and online, and did something incredible in them and then through them, it all started with obedience on their behalf. But before that, I would argue that a lot of obedience originates with understanding what God's voice actually sounds like. That's what we're gonna pick up today in our Misfit series, in the Christmas story. And I wanna preach a one-point sermon, if I could do that today, just a one-point sermon. Rick Warren said recently, he's a pastor in California, he claims that most individuals forget 95% of every sermon. And so I wanna give you one point today that if everything else is forgotten, this is held on to. So if you've got an iPad, if you've got a notepad, if you've got a Sharpie, you can write this on your neighbor's forehead if you want. This is the one point today. You ready for this? God's plans for your life, that includes me as well, God's plans for your life are determined by God's voice. It's simple in essence. God's plans for your life are determined by God's voice. If you have a Bible with you, turn with me to Matthew. We're going to the very first book in the New Testament. In the Bible, there's an Old Testament, there's a New Testament. We're going to the New Testament. Matthew is one of four gospel accounts documenting the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, who we're here today to celebrate and learn about. Matthew was the guy that was actually called by Jesus. He was once a tax collector. People around him in culture and society did not like him because of that profession. And nonetheless, that's who Jesus chose out of one of many to follow him. He said, Matthew, come follow me. Matthew leaves everything behind and does just that. And so now he's documenting for us in this segment of the text, Jesus's birth narrative, talking to us about how Jesus came into this world as a baby boy, starting in verse 18 of chapter one of Matthew, here's what the Bible says. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. "'Joseph, son of David,' the angel said. "'Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, "'for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, "'and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, "'for he will save his people from their sins.'" All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. This is Isaiah seven fourteen. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. He took Mary as his wife, but he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born and Joseph named him Jesus. Father, we are grateful today that you've met us here. We already know you are here and where the spirit of the Lord is, there can be freedom. So we pray that that would be experienced wholeheartedly by every individual, both in person and online today. Would you teach us just how powerful you are based on the fact that you use people who are broken and sinful like us. We give you all the honor, praise, and glory in advance in Jesus' name, amen. If you're on social media, you know that our world is full of debates. There's a lot of debates going on right now over the course of a lot of different subjects, nothing really new in our culture. However, there's a debate that I came across recently. It's kind of lighthearted, but it is extremely important. I want us to settle it this morning. Here's the question on the table. Who is the greatest MJ of all time? Okay, there's two options. Michael Jordan, the basketball star. Michael Jackson, the moonwalking star. Let me see if I can do it. Nope, I can't. I try to moonwalk every time I come on the stage. Never works. However, we're gonna vote on it this morning. So I want you to think about who your vote is. We're gonna show pictures of both of those individuals in a moment, and we're gonna applaud who we think is the greatest MJ of all time. Now, I wanna address the elephant in the room, okay? I know what you're thinking. Bryce, I can't compare the two, okay? One's a basketball star. One is a music pop star, okay? One is currently alive. One is no longer alive. I hear all that. I agree with all that, but it's more fun if we do it anyway, okay? So... The first picture on the screen is Michael Jordan. If you love Michael Jordan more than Michael Jackson, clap your hands. Wow, a lot of basketball stars, I like it. Okay, here is the second one, Mr. Michael Jackson himself. Go ahead and clap your hands. Man, Michael Jordan, I think won in both services. That was really surprising to me, interesting. Well, I want you to prepare yourself. I think history is actually about to be made on this stage and in this room. I'm about to make the corniest statement that's ever been made at Mount Horeb, Um, because I think that the greatest MJ of all time is Mary and Joseph. Yep. Thank you guys for laughing at that. Um, Okay, so um, let's learn a little bit about Mary first. Let's go to Mary first. So here's some things that we know about Mary based off of the text that we just read. The first thing we know is that she's engaged to Joseph. She's about to be married to Joseph very, very soon. The second thing we know, scholars believe that she was somewhere between the ages of 15 and 18 years old. Now, I'm not gonna judge anybody else here today, but when Bryce was a teenager within that age range, he was not ready for marriage. So the maturity level must've been a little bit different. That was pretty normal at the time in, in Mary and Joseph's culture. And then finally, we learned that she is pregnant. Hold up. We gotta look at this through Joseph's lens, right? Like what could Joseph possibly have been thinking? The wedding is already planned. I've already sent out all the invitations. People are currently RSVPing. The Spotify playlist for the wedding is already made. Side note, there's only one request that I have for my wedding one day. It is that Party in the USA by Miley Cyrus is on that playlist. We're gonna close with that uh, in, in, uh, in a few moments after the sermon. Anyway, um, so Joseph is looking at this scenario, right? And he's gotta be saying to himself, everything was going great. I was excited for what was about to take place, but now it seems that Mary, who I'm supposed to marry, has committed adultery. The Old Testament talks a little bit about adultery. It's actually one of the 10 commandments. Maybe you're familiar with the 10 commandments that God says, do not commit adultery. And Deuteronomy 22, I think, is the the message that might be going through Joseph's head at this time. You see, Joseph was a Jewish man, and so he was raised in Jewish school, which means that he would have known a lot about the Old Testament. He would have known what God commanded in the Old Testament to both do and not do. And this was one of them. So Deuteronomy 22 says this. It's a really interesting passage because it speaks directly into this situation. Here's what it says, starting in verse 23. Suppose a man meets a young woman, a virgin who is engaged to be married, and he has sexual intercourse with her. If this happens within a town, you must take both of those individuals to the gates of that town and stone them to death. Joseph's a bit afraid, I'm sure. Joseph is a bit hesitant. And so the Bible says that Joseph, though he's a righteous man, so he wants to go about this quietly, tries to get out of this. I can't go through with this. I mean, Mary clearly has committed adultery. There's really no other option. I wasn't the guy involved in this scenario with the baby boy inside of her. So there had to be some other dude involved and it wasn't me. So all these thoughts swirling inside of Joseph. And then the Bible says something really, really interesting, I think. At the start of verse 20, after we are already told that Joseph has put a plan into place, he has found the exit route, he's ready to go about this quietly so that hopefully Mary won't die for what she has done, or so he thinks she has done. And verse 20 starts off by saying this. As he, that's Joseph, considered, This, that's breaking off the engagement. As he considered this, that's when the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and spoke to him, told him exactly what to do. As he considered this, I just think it's really interesting that God decided to intervene into Joseph's situation and Joseph's story, Joseph's circumstance after Joseph had already put a plan into place. It's really interesting. Because, you know, sometimes, this is just me for a second, I'll speak for myself here. A lot of seasons in my life, I take this posture right here and I pray a particular uh, prayer. And it goes something like this. And maybe this is the prayer that has been on your heart for some time. Maybe it's the one that you just prayed and I'm grateful for that if it is, because it's a good prayer. It goes something like this, God, I pray that in this season of my life, you would grant me direction. God, I just don't know where to go. I don't know about that new job that presented itself. I don't know about this marriage that seems to not be going too hot anymore. I don't know what to do with my kids. They're going crazy. Would you give me a sense of direction? I don't know where to go or what to do. A lot of us have probably prayed that prayer. I know I have many, many, many times in my life. But this whole scenario actually reminds me of a verse in Proverbs. It's chapter 16, verse nine. Here's what it says. A person plans his ways but the Lord directs his steps. Other translations say it this way. A man plans his own path, but it's God who directs his steps. I just think it's so interesting that Joseph was putting a plan into place that he intended to follow. And that's when God showed up. And I just wonder how many of us, if we're truly honest, have been asking God to direct our steps, but all the while we have not even taken one. And we've been sitting still. And if you're anything like me, you've been actually asking God to go against what I believe his nature to be. Because what I was doing was I was asking God to force me out of my comfortable position. I was asking God to shove me into the right direction. When maybe, just maybe, God is more of an invitational God, not a forceful one. And so maybe the voice that I had to come to the conclusion that I was understanding and hearing was God saying to me, if you truly want me to direct your steps, you have to be willing to put a plan into place and actually walk. It's actually what I did with this sermon as of last night. I got three or four pieces of paper that are kind of my notes, my outline for what I wanted to talk about today. And it's been a series of a week or two that I've gone through a lot of prayer. I've gone through a lot of preparation. I talked with our sermon prep team on two different occasions about it, a lot of people in my life I trust. But last night, before the Clemson Carolina game, I came into this very room. It was me and my brother. And I laid those pieces of paper right here on this stage. And I said, God, this, through a bunch of prayer and preparation and talking to people I trust is the plan that I intend to follow. It's the plan that I've been able to put into place. And so what I'm asking you, God, is that come Sunday morning, I want you to be the one directing my steps. In my case, it's directing my words, I guess. Though I have this plan, God, I want you to get the final say. I want you to direct my steps. But the prerequisite, I believe, to Joseph finding direction was him actually planning something and actually putting a plan into place that he had prayed through, thought through logically. And moving forward with it, that's when God showed up. But when God showed up, through the angel of the Lord speaking to Joseph on a very personal level, just like this, it seems, there's a question that comes to the surface based on what the angel says. This is actually something that the angel will say often throughout scripture. A lot of times in the Bible, you will see an angel of the Lord speaking to an individual just like Joseph right here in this text. And the same tendency occurs every time from the angel to the individual. These words, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. So the question we've got to ask is why was Joseph afraid? Well, I think some of the answer was probably our Deuteronomy passage, right? Like if I go through with this, then the person I'm supposed to marry could die for what culture thinks she's done. Even though I know the backstory. God, I've heard your voice now. I know what the actual deal is in this situation. I know the Holy Spirit provided this child. It wasn't another the guy. I know, but what about the rest of the world? This could cost something. And Joseph has to come to a conclusion that if he takes this step of faith, this step of obedience, though culture would define him as a misfit, He has to decide for himself whether it's the right decision or the wrong decision. It's a very simple question on the table that he's asking. Do I care more about what the world will say or what God did say? Do I care more about what the world will say or what God did say in this scenario? It's a question that a lot of us, I think, have to ask ourselves. It's one that I had to ask myself recently, actually. I've been walking alongside this friend of mine. He's a few years older than me for a number of years now. And he comes to this church sometimes, but doesn't actively follow Jesus or anything like that. And so I've been trying to really pour into him and teach him about the basic things within the faith in Christ and all that good stuff. Invite him to church, everything like that. And he's come out a few times, but I get lunch with him every so often. And a few years ago, I remember he told me, as plain as day, he got in the car, we're about to go back home and drop him off. And he said, Bryce, I want you to know that if you had simply you know, not been a friend to me, like there haven't been a lot of people that have been friends with me. so." if you had not dedicated this kind of time to me every once in a while, I don't think I'd be here today. And I don't say that to pat myself on the back. I say that to say this, that at the same time that voice was being spoken to me, there were many others that were very contrary. There were people in my life saying things like this. Why do you keep dedicating time to a place that isn't producing fruit? Why do you keep getting lunch with someone who seems to not be making any progress toward coming to know Jesus? Why? That was a real question that I was confronted with as well. And so then the question that originated from both of those voices was, do I care more about what the world around me is currently saying, or do I care more about what God has already said? What has God already said? Things like, trust me with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding of a situation. I'll be the one to make your path straight. Things like, uh, I will be with you many times within scripture. Maybe this one from the end of Matthew. Go and make disciples of all nations that actually includes all people. That's what God has already said among numerous different things. This is the question that Joseph and Mary had to answer. They couldn't go any further without answering it because they knew if I take this step of obedience, the world might allow it to cost me something. It might cost me something. But eventually we read that Joseph was indeed obedient. That something within him got him to the point, probably hearing God's voice, I'm sure, got him to a point where he took the step of faith. He said, I'm gonna go through with this. I'm gonna do this. And so the Bible says at the very end of this passage, we read that Joseph named the boy Jesus. Now, the question that I've got a lot of the time when I read that one verse is this. Why could the father in heaven not name the child Jesus? Why couldn't there be a loud thundering noise from heaven as there has been elsewhere in scripture that says this child is now named Jesus. I've wondered that for a while. And then I finally figured it out that the prophecy about Jesus that was made in the Old Testament, the promises that there would be this king that comes, there was still a lot of mystery behind what all that would look like. All that prophecy was made in advance about Jesus to come. And now that he is showing up onto the scene, we have to look back at the prophecy and see that there was a key component that this king to come would be a part of the lineage of David. And so the angel of the Lord knows this and he says to Joseph, listen, you've gotta be the one to name him because you're from the lineage of David. And if you name him, if you accept the call that God has placed on your life, then it will fulfill all of the things said in the past. It's crazy how God orchestrates things, right? It's crazy that God, being perfect in and of himself, would have chosen people like Joseph and Mary to teenagers to do this kind of stuff, to actually be the ones to fulfill a prophecy. They, they didn't ask to be a part of that. They knew all about it. They knew it very, very well, but they didn't ask to be a part of it. They had no idea that this would be happening to them. And in the moment with all that pressure on them, they had to make a decision and they chose to be obedient regardless of what it would cost. And the interesting thing about obedience is that it will always cost you something and it will always birth something. I truly do believe that. Obedience will always cost something and obedience will always birth something. You know, we've given Joseph a lot of the airtime this morning, but I wonder what Mary would have been thinking about, right? All throughout watching her son grow up, like I brought this kid into the world. I followed what God placed on my heart, on my life as a call. I followed it no matter what it would cost me. And now I get the privilege of watching this kid grow up and do crazy things. I mean, working miracles everywhere he goes, healing people, seeing this child Jesus of hers, teaching crowds, crazy, amazing truths that many people dislike, but others chose to follow. And now because of that, he's gaining this following over and over and over and over. over. Everywhere he goes, he's gaining new followers. It's a mother's dream in a sense. It's like, oh my, my, my son's doing incredible things. He even saw a dead man and said, live, and he lived. Like, this is crazy. Mary's gotta be in a posture of complete joy at this point. God, I never knew all this would take place. This is incredible until there comes this point, the gospel of John says, that when Jesus gets on his cross, at the foot of the cross, there's a crowd of people, one of which was his own mom. Mary, and I just wonder if maybe in that, that moment she was feeling something a little bit different, saying, God, this is, this is where all this got to. This is all this was ever meant to be. You're gonna bring a king into the world to do these incredible things for just a couple of years? And now I've got to do the unthinkable and the unimaginable and watch my own son die before my very eyes. Is is, is that why you chose me, Joseph? And I think that in that moment, the world would have easily and in some ways justifiably defined Mary and Joseph's small step of obedience as foolish because all it seemed to result in was a brutal and undeserved death. Death. You see, what obedience cost Mary and Joseph beyond even the cultural cancellation, beyond the societal shame that came with their decision, most importantly, what obedience cost them beyond their reputations was their own son's life. In this moment, they saw it so clearly what obedience would cost. They didn't ask for it. They chose to take a step of faith, but God, this this is it. And then obviously we here today, whether you've been going to church for years, whether you're kind of new to this church and this Jesus thing, I wanna let you know that regardless of where you are on the Christianity, Christ following spectrum, we are all witnesses today of not just what obedience cost Mary and Joseph, but what it birthed. Because three days later, the narrative shifted. And Mary was able to no longer see her son hanging on a cross, but speaking once again because he was back to life. And it seems to be that Mary and Joseph's small step of obedience first cost one man's life, but through that one man's life, it birthed something even greater. It birthed new life and a chance for all of us to be born again. It's crazy how God works. It seems backwards to the culture. It's mind-blowing to read about misfits like this. That this was his plan all along. I'll use two individuals who are completely unsuspecting, like not asking to be used at all by me. Two individuals that the world has completely canceled. Those will be the people that if they're willing, will take a step of faith that will change everything for the rest of human history. It's crazy. And I just wonder if maybe Mary and Joseph resemble people like you and I a lot closer than we may think. Maybe these are actually just ordinary, broken, sinful individuals who came in carrying stuff just like we did today. Maybe these are people who didn't ask to be a part of anything huge, but wound up being a part of something huge because they took one step, that's it. They put one foot in front of the other. I think that's what following Jesus is supposed to look like. Today, you might feel misunderstood in the culture around you, in your sphere of influence, maybe that's because of that one sin that you committed some time ago that you haven't quite gotten past, but not because you haven't gotten past it personally, but because of the sphere of influence around you, your friends, and maybe even family keep reminding you of it. Maybe that's what you're carrying with you still. Maybe it's something completely different that you've brought in that is a, place of bondage in your life. And you are trying today as your last resort to shake yourself free from it. God, if you don't do it, I can't get free from it. I don't know how I'll ever move on. I don't know what you're carrying. I don't know every nitty gritty detail of your story. But what I do know is that God is a God of redemption. He's a God of restoration. That there's never a point that you've hit that's too far for God to come find you right where you are. And pull you out. There's never that place. And there's never that point. So regardless of where you are today, my invitation to you, I think God's invitation to all of us is to look at a story like Mary and Joseph and name and claim that yes, they were misfits. They were misunderstood. They made so many mistakes. they were broken and sinful just like us. But most importantly, God sent them on a mission. It's what he can do for your life today. I've seen him do it through hundreds of people, including myself. It's the invitation God has for you today. Whether your step of faith, step of obedience that you know you need to take today is a big one or it's a small one, I promise you it's huge in God's eyes. It's huge. And all it requires is one bold step. That's what I wanna invite you into as we close. We're gonna close in a worship song that is a reminder. It's a reminder of the text that we just read. So I'd invite you to stay seated. You can come forward to the altar if you like and pray. But this is a reminder that I believe God wants to use this reminder today of this story in this passage, these people, Mary and Joseph, as a reminder to all of us that God can do so much even when we present him with so little. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are such a good God and you never give up on us. We thank you that you were able to use two unsuspecting individuals for your plans and your purposes to accomplish wonderful, wonderful things when they didn't ask for it, they never imagined it could happen. I'm thankful that you used them because they were willing to be used. That's the only prerequisite that you ask of us. So Lord, I pray for that individual, maybe there's more than one, here today, whether in person or online, who knows that they are currently on the fence of taking a step of faith, a step of obedience. They know that you've been inviting them into that, but you're not gonna force them to do it. You're an invitational God, and I believe that in this very moment, the invitation is so amazingly clear in their life and in their heart and in their mind. I pray they wouldn't miss it. Whether the step looks big or small to anybody in this room or anybody around us, I pray that you'd remind us it's huge in your eyes. I pray that we'd be people who decide to truly understand what it means to follow you which requires us to start walking. Would you remind us now of these simple truths of what you can do with individuals who are misfits? Just like some of us here in this room, would you remind us of how good you are and how powerful you are and how your strength is truly made perfect in weakness? We give you all the honor, praise, and glory in Jesus' name, amen.